You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. It's good to see everybody tonight. How are we feeling? All right. Are you running the race of faith? Everybody doing okay with it? Do you guys have any stories? I have a story of running the race of faith. I can't remember if I've told this one before, but I'm going to begin with it because it fits into some of the journey. But when I was a senior in high school, I was the anchor leg on the 4x100 relay at my high school. And we did really well in the league. We won our league, and we qualified for the district meet in in Southern California, CIF district meet. And I was the anchor leg. I wasn't the fastest guy. I was the second fastest guy. Our fastest guy was um, uh, he was the starting. He did the, the opening leg, which would always give us the, the lead. And at the district meet, we knew we had to have a certain time and be in the top three in order to qualify for the state meet. I was like, I want to make the state meet. And I, I was like, we can do this. So I remember when I got the baton, we had our timing down perfect. I got the baton, and I was focused on running and trying to stay in the top three. And so when we finished, we, I think we ended up in second place. We were really happy, and our time was what it needed to be to qualify. And then the referee came over and said, you guys got disqualified. And I was like, what happened? He said, you were like a half a foot out of the lane out of the final turn. Because I wanted to win. I wasn't obedient to the rules of staying in the lane. And we ended up getting disqualified. And God brought me some humility through that. I was disappointed. I learned a, a valuable lesson that, you know, winning's not everything. You've got to compete according to the rules the scriptures teach. So we didn't win that race. It's painful. I hope that as you go on the Christian race, you will compete uh, for the prize, which we're going to talk about this next Sunday, uh, which ultimately is uh, all of us being uh, in the ever-increasing image of Jesus until we meet him face-to-face in eternity. So let's go. Today I want to talk a little bit about uh, last week uh, Sunday's sermon and do a little recap for you, right? So fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, is the main scripture that we preached on Sunday. And CJ gave us the vim of that. You guys remember that? He taught us that. Uh, Dallas Willard, that's one way to dig into scripture. It's an excellent way. Had great training. It's not the only. There's many other ways to approach uh, the study of scripture, but this is an excellent one from a great uh, philosopher and Bible teacher. And so here was... Uh, his them of that text, he said, clearly the vision is a mature faith, the intention, it's Jesus who perfects us, be like Jesus, he's what we're trying to be like, and then the means was to turn away, the, the fix your eyes portion, that, that word really means to turn away from anything that distracts you, and focus and learn from him. And then he went into three very practical, straightforward ways that as a church we need to focus and be like Jesus. So my quiz question for you is, who knows what those three points were? What were they? And he had some great illustrations on Sunday. So this is a good, this is kind of staying in line with following in lane here and remembering what you're taught and letting the word of God move in you by reflecting on the lesson. So who remembers the three points from last week? Anybody? 
Okay, but he had three things he said that Jesus did that we needed to do. What, what were these? He prayer, sermons, and blessings. And that was the third. Singing. Yes, great job. Prayer. Jesus had, you know, he talked about that vase, that the reverence, that, that he would treat prayer with such reverence. And I think that reflects on the type of way we approach our own prayer, being thoughtful and mindful, digging into depth. I thought that was fantastic. He talked about how Jesus sang hymns. And, of course, that was a very practical encouragement and a little admonishment to all of us. I might have been in that admonishment category because I, I enjoy singing. I enjoy looking in everybody's eyes and I enjoy fellowship. So I might tap you on the shoulder and, you know, be singing next to you. And I'm enjoying the fellowship and the singing simultaneously. I don't know if I was the one that bugged him. But I probably have bugged you during your singing. I apologize. But it's a great point. Our worship needs to be reverential. I know if you're a song leader and you're up there and then everybody's still talking when the songs start, that, that doesn't honor God. Then the last thing he talked about, of course, was our study was the word of God and our, our really digging into it. That it's not just a simple scripture a day, but we're digging in. We're allowing the word of God to move in our hearts. We're reflecting deep on it. These are great things. These are things that Jesus uh, did and is. And it's important for us as we evolve as Christians and grow in this race that we're following this kind of stuff. So today what I want to do is a little follow up from that. And I want to... Think a little bit about what other qualities of Jesus can we focus on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes. So he talked about part of that is to not let distraction take you away, right? And we're going to look at another quality today of fixing our eyes on Jesus. One Character quality of Jesus that is a phenomenal character quality that really God puts inside of us. Okay, but what we're going to do is a little, um, not really an icebreaker, but an exercise. So I want you to stand up right now and I want you to just look at the person sitting. Everybody needs, it's like a partnership. So you got to have one person. It's a, it's a little bit of a competition as well. Okay, we're in the race. So, okay, what I want you to do, are you guys ready for this? Everybody's going to have one partner, and you're going to have a staring contest. So, okay, the first person to blink, the first person to blink sits down. Okay, so on the count of, I'm going to say on the count of three, one, two, three, we're going to start. So you can get ready, have your partner on the count of three, first person to blink has to sit down. One, two, three. Okay, who thinks they're amazing at this? Like, who, who really thinks they're good? Okay, let's get Oscar, Zahid, Ron up here. Let me get a sister who, who thinks they're really good at this. Come on, I want one of the women to win. Heather, are you, are you good at this? Okay, okay, Mia, why don't we have, Mia, did you win or did Tracy win? You both won. Okay, okay, so, uh, we got Heather up here. I need one, I need, I got Tracy, okay. Patricia, did you win? Okay, you come up and... All right, everybody else can sit down. Just we're going to have a... Comp I know you might have won, but we're going to just see if anyone is really great at this. Okay. Face each other. Only like three feet apart. Two, three feet apart. 
and then I'm going to say one, two, three, and again, first person to blink sits down. Ready? It's a, it, you got to focus, you got to still yourself, you got to calm yourself. One, two, three. Okay, Alex and Oscar, you're both winners. Go sit down. Let's, yeah, you're both winners. Go sit down, Zaheed. Pat, Pat, Patricia and Tracy, let's see who wins between you guys. Okay, ready? Yeah, we're, we're going to let the women win. One, two, three. Okay, you both win. You both win. If you can go over 20 seconds, you win. You, you might have a special skill of not blinking and staying focused. It is not easy to stay focused on one thing. Some of us have attention difficulties. And, it, and it's difficult to stay focused on one thing. I confess, I have a lot of ideas that run through my mind all the time. So my practice is to slow down and focus. We're going to focus today, I want you to focus in on this quality of Jesus. Alright, this is the quality. The humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. Of course, the text that is our main text about fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, demonstrates humility, doesn't it? And so the humility character of Jesus is maybe the most masterful and alluring and exciting and difficult and challenging qualities of Jesus. Being God himself and yet having total humility. And so here's our verse that leads into this concept that blends well with the Hebrew writer. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, he saw there was some disunity floating through there. And he loved that church. They were supportive church. He helped start that church. And he, he really had deep compassion for them. And he wanted complete unity in the church. And we read a very... Famous passage right here. Many early Christian churches sang this passage. It's been turned into a hymn, a hymn, but let's read it together. It says, in your relationship with one another. Now, I want to stop right there. I like the NIV. It puts that in your relationship with one another. The other versions just say, in general, among you. You have to have this mindset. But the NIV kind of adds it in. Make sure you're thinking relationally, which is what I like. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Powerful verse of humility. Now, we could go into all kinds of ways to exegete this passage and study it out and I could preach a whole lesson on this and we're going to talk a little bit but I'm not going to give you another exercise in keeping with our teaching mantra for the last couple midweeks and so do you guys remember the, the Vim concept? 
I don't have the right answer up there, so no one can argue with what I put. Instead, I just want you to take the person to the right or your left, just take a minute or two. Remember, what's the vision? And here's the thing. I don't think it's easy to perfectly land on this particular passage. I think there's some debatability. But I want you guys to use that practice of what's the vision of this passage, what's the intention, and what's the means. Just take a few minutes to talk about it with the person right next to you. Okay, just a minute or two. The vision of it, the big picture, the intention, the overall principle, the Christ-centered principle, and then the means. How are you going to do it? What's the practical? Okay, any of you think you got it? Anyone want to venture what they think? There is, I don't have highlighted the right answer, so you won't be, you won't be shamed by having the wrong answer if you stand up. We, you can debate it a little bit. Anybody think they, they figured it out? Okay, what do you think, Chuka? Stand up. Okay. Okay, okay, I felt similar. Teacher, CJ, what do you think? Okay, and I think there's some debatability, but I think that's a good... But the goal, guys, I don't think is to be right every time. The goal is to approach the Scripture and let it speak to you and move you and deepen your thought about it. The goal is to let the Word of God not come back empty in your life. When Nathan, my youngest, he's now in 8th grade, when he was... Two and a half years old, Carrie and I and Lynn took the responsibility of being his legal guardians. And at that time, in our home in the Inland Empire, we had a big house, but we all had our own room. And so he had been with Grandma, who had her own room, her own bathroom at the house in the Inland Empire. Nice in the Inland Empire, you can own a bigger house. It was a little easier over there than L.A. But as he began to grow up, we realized he can't be staying in a little cot in Grandma's room or or on her big king-size bed with Grandma. He needs his own room. At the time, my daughter was just about to go into uh, junior high school, and my son was about to go into high school. He was 15, about to go into high school. And Nathan turned three, and we're like, what are we going to do? I'm going to have to, we can't leave him in grandma's room. We can't add any more rooms. We can't, we need to do something to give him a security and stability in life. I felt some trepidation about it. I didn't want to uproot uh, either one of my kids' sense of emotional <laughs> happiness in that regard. But I knew our son Nathan now needed this special place of comfort. He needed his own room or he needed a place with one of them. Naturally, I thought my daughter is younger in age. Maybe it would be better. But of course, she was going to become a woman very shortly or was already at that stage of life. I thought, I can't have her rooming together. I thought, my son's just starting high school. It's very stressful. What are we going to do? I'm going to have to have a big talk with him. 
And within a 24-hour period from that time, I'd been praying about it. I don't remember bringing it up with my son Kyle, but he, he came to me and said, Dad, I want Nathan to move into my room. And he's 15 years old. But he understood that this is his blood now and needs the security and comfort and safety of a home to grow up in. And he said, yes, for sure. I can have a three-year-old next to me and a four-year-old, and we will grow up together as brothers. And he went through his whole high school days with Nathan next to him and taught him Kingdom Kids songs and was there when we prayed with Nathan. And it was a blessing, and it showed me the heart of selflessness. Uh, Kyle had decided, this counts more. People count more than my comfort, than what I think I need uh, I was concerned as a father, just, you know, wanted him to have his high school days, a 15-year-old, and the many challenges that a 15-year-old would go through. And he handled it beautifully with humility and grace and servitude. And the verse that moves me here is where it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. His position, his age, his circumstances. It wasn't like he... Jesus understood, I'm God in the flesh, right? Jesus was tempted with control over the whole world and all the wealth of all the world, but knew that would not bring happiness and, of course, would sever his relationship with his father. And Jesus did not use his privilege or prestige for his own advantage, he wasn't trying to one-up other people. And I thought my son could have been like, Dad, I'm in high school, and this is my one shot, and there's so much emotional baggage going on around here, and I just need a little space, a little time to myself. And he understood, no, I will give of myself and what I do have. He didn't actually own the room. Mom and I owned it. So, But he had that graciousness. And it's a great example, and it, it made me think a lot about just the humility that comes into our soul when we look at the big picture and not using things to our own advantage. And humility is an incredibly important quality to grow in that God brings the lessons to you. Andrew Murray wrote a book on humility, a, a classic book, and he said in the beginning, there are three great motives that urge us to humility. It becomes me as a creature. As a sinner, as a saint. What does he mean? Well, of course, we are created. We are not God. We're created by God. So two things come from that. There's the humility of understanding the absolute miracle of creation and uniqueness of each individual and all the gifts that we've been gifted with, as well as our frailty Right? Our sense of we're not the creator. We were made. And all glory has to go to something outside of ourselves. We didn't get to decide what country we would be born in. What time in history we would be born. All the things that happened in our life. All the circumstances should create some humility in us as we reflect on the providence of God. Also, we're sinners. We mess up. We sin. I try hard to not sin, and I 
keep sinning at times. I'm not happy about it. I don't want to. I'm trying hard to, to be perfect. You ever try to just be perfect? And then when you try really hard to be perfect, what happens? You realize you're not. I've overcome a lot of sins. I've overcome all the big sins of my youth, most of them at least, like drunkenness and marijuana use and sexual immorality and pornography and greed and my whole goal in life is just to be impressive and you to look at me. Now, the big picture of those things I have overcome through the grace of God, through the mercies of God, right? Through the cross, through people in my life. When I reflect on all those things, it humbles me in gratitude that God saved me from my old self, the darkness of the old Steve. Carrie never met me, never met the old Steve. She met me after I became a disciple. But she sometimes catches little glimpses of who he used to be. She would not have wanted to know him. But when you reflect on the old you and you reflect on the sins of our life, it does bring humility, doesn't it? It ought to bring humility. The message of us needing God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God leads us into as a saint. If we are right, it's because of the goodness and grace and mercy. God says, I am for you. I am on your side. I love you. I made you. I already paid for everything that could damage you. In my sight, you are awesome. You are forgiven. You are loved. You do not have to perform for me. You are crafted by me, special, made as a masterpiece in my image, male and female, young and old, made as a masterpiece by the mercy of God. And that also should humble us, right? Humility is an incredibly important trait. We all know how we feel about the, the know-it-all Knows something about everything and always has to speak up and be in control and control every conversation or always needs to one-up everybody. Remember the Saturday Night Lights skit of the woman that was always the one-upper? She always knew everything or was like always, always been there, always knew about it. That's insecurity. Our pride really reveals insecurity. Humility. Have you prayed for humility lately? That's a difficult prayer because God will give you a chance to become humble by putting you through some difficult times. And I have many stories. I told one earlier about my track escapades. I have many more and they keep coming. God brings them into my life because he does want us to reflect the humility of Jesus. And so today I hope that you are thinking that way. And that you want to be humble. Part of becoming more like Jesus is becoming more humble. And so I want to look specifically uh, at this question. And what I want to do right now is I want you to answer this question. This can be with somebody who's sitting right next to you. It's a similar question to what we've been looking at before. But specifically even thinking about a simple example of a story of something you can do to show obedience. I want you to have a discussion in what area of your life... Do you need to be more humble and obedient like Jesus? Maybe there's a practical you can share. So if you're sitting by somebody you know, makes it easier to be vulnerable. Share something you want to be more humble in 
and obedient like Jesus. Take a few minutes for this, and then we'll have one more verse, and we'll close out. Okay. All right, we're going we're gonna to have one more discussion before we end the night. So I want to end this one. This is one, hopefully you had something, you told somebody you know, that you can take some action on that, and it can be a, a simple action of obedience in various areas of your life. But I want to look at this verse as we close out, and this is a little higher in that passage, a little before the, the content about Jesus and his example. But he had said earlier in, in verse 1 about if, if you have encouragement in being united, then he lays out the ways to show this type of humility. But I like in verse 3 and 4, he says, if you have that encouragement, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Very practical call of how to live out a humble life. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Such a difficult thing to do. And if you're not united to Christ, you really can't do it. There's a Catholic priest who, his name was Maximilian Kolb, who in 1941 was arrested by the Nazi Gestapo because he would not support the Nazi regime. He was put in prison cell, and eventually moved over to Auschwitz, the concentration camp. He was a Polish priest. He was not a Jew, but he was arrested and put into a prison with many of the Jews that had been rounded up that were being persecuted, and the Holocaust was going on. Well, at about that same time in 1941 in Auschwitz, a prisoner escaped, and the lieutenant of the Nazi army that was running that part of the camp decided to pick 10 people and put them in a starvation camp inside Auschwitz as punishment for the person who ran away. And one of the individuals who was picked was a guy named Francis. Can't pronounce his last name. But Francis immediately said, please, no, I have a wife, I have kids. And Maximilian Kolb spoke up right then and says, I don't have either. He was a Catholic priest. Take me instead. And surprisingly, the lieutenant said, okay, and grabbed him and let Francis go. All ten were moved into the starvation camp. And in the succeeding month, all of them starved, save three of them. But they were then given a lethal injection, and Maximilian's life was taken from him, and he died. The war ended, and Francis was freed from the concentration camp. And as the story spread, the news was loud and clear that Maximilian had been faithful, had sacrificed himself, and in 1982, the Catholic Church canonized him. As a, as a martyr, as a saint. And at that canonization, at that ceremony, was Francis and his family who had survived and lived. He truly had considered others better than himself. So here's what I want to close out with. I want to close out with an exercise. 
I want you right now to find somebody that you, it's okay if you know them, but it can't be somebody sitting next to you right now. And we're going to close out with this. And what I want you to do is I want you to get with a person and just share briefly. Somebody different. It can't be your wife. It's got to be somebody. You know, if you're new here, you know, hopefully you, you can talk to the person next to you if you just met them. Otherwise, you, I don't want you to talk to the person right next to you. I want you to move around a little bit and meet somebody or just somebody you already know that you've had some kind of conversation. But I want you to share something about your current work life, family life, or church life. And in which area of these three you would appreciate extra prayer. Then I want you to commit to each other to pray for each other in that area. Considering others better than yourself for the next several days. And on Sunday, I hope you'll see each other and you can say, how's it going? You can check up, check up on each other a little bit. Just care about others. Have our minds off of ourselves. Okay, so let's just take, let's give it... Like seven minutes, we'll be a little late. We'll be done at 8.10. Let's give it seven minutes. So you only have a couple minutes to share. But I want you to share honestly about your life with somebody. Okay. You don't have... If you could stop talking for just a moment, we're going to have a prayer. If you want to continue talking, we don't have to close down until 9 p.m. So you're welcome to continue to conversate. But I want to close out with a prayer for all of us. And then you can... If you need to get going, you can. We want to end as close to 8 as we can, uh, just so we remain consistent. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this night to come and study, to think, to connect, to worship. Lord, we ask you to guide us along the path of Jesus. Help us to embody him in every way. Help us to begin to approximate his level of humility in the way he thought of others. Help our church be filled with humble people. Help us to not think our way has to be the way. Help us to surrender to your way in everything. Help there be peace and grace and love in the West Side Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.